Hey Otaway Hackers, welcome to this episode. In this episode, we are going to be talking about a topic that was asked to us by one of our listeners in the comments saying that they would like us to talk about the challenges that aging sites or sites that are like three, four, five years old are starting to face that were not challenges for new sites. And I think that is a very interesting episode because usually a lot of the sites that get hit by core updates and issues with Google, etc., tend to ignore some of the issues that we are going to be talking about in this podcast. So I think even if your site is not old yet, it's probably a good idea for you to listen to this because that could avoid issues with Google later on. So I'm not going to tease you more. We're just going to jump into the podcast. But if you're really excited for this topic, don't forget to subscribe, like, click the bell, etc. And let us know in the comments if you want us to talk about another topic, because this year we really want to take your suggestions and create content around that. So I hope you're excited. Let's get started with the episode. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey everyone, welcome to the Atari Hacker Podcast. That is officially the first one we are recording this year because the one that we recorded on the 2nd or 3rd of January was pre-recorded before the holiday break. So we are kind of like officially back in this new year mood to get stuff done, etc. Today we're going to be talking about a topic that we have, you know, mentioned in a previous podcast and a lot, bunch of people dropped comments about us wanting us to do a podcast about this. And that is how to deal with issues that arise as your site gets older and, you know, your rankings might be slipping sometimes or like you might have taken technical issues, etc. And we want to talk about all these things, the things that you should be expecting as your site gets a little bit older, like two, three, four years kind of range at least. And uh, we have a specialist about getting older on the podcast to help us about that. And that is Mark. So welcome back to the podcast. I mean, I mean technically we're getting older low. at the technically we're getting older at the same rate, right? So it was just like the, the only transition that came to me at that point. But how's it going? <laughs> ah, there we go. Just double the blow, you know? Rele- the sweet release of the question. It's been it's been about a month since I've I've heard you ask me that. It is going good. Did you miss as it? As always. One interesting sort of podcasty related thing is I finally decided that I want to do something with that, i.e. the background behind me, because it's it looks kind of shit. And I'm a bit jealous. I was wondering conf- when I was going to receive the ransom request, you know, like given the fact that you've been sequestered in that room for the past four or five years now. It's like uh, I was expecting just, them to have some money. I'm just at that jealous point, you know? of your pink flamingo girl. So I'm going to try and uh, it's I'm pretty try famous and outdo now. you on that one. Yeah, that was a, a budget of about 12 euros. So I think uh, I think it's going to be difficult to outdo for you. But, you know, good luck to good luck to you. Anyway, I think for once you had an answer to that question. So I'm pretty happy. But as usual, people didn't come for that. So let's actually get started with the podcast and talk about the things that I think it's an interesting topic. I think it's a topic that beginners really don't give a shit about that much because at this point, they just want to make some money. But once you start making money, you don't only worry about making more money. You worry about keeping making the money that you're making and not losing your income. And a lot of the things we're going to talk about are things that can, you know, do these things. And I think a lot of the things we're going to talk about, they're things that usually the sites that get hit by, you know, these core updates where we don't really know what they are, etc. They're the kind of things that have been slipping for these kind of sites. And so like, I think like, if you want to do a good job at protecting yourself from core updates, I'm not saying that this is a foolproof guarantee you will not get hit. But I would say very often when you look at sites that have been hit quite hard by these updates, one or several of these things we're going to talk about in this episode are 
things that haven't been taken care of. And we have been guilty of that on several sides. Like, I'm not saying that, oh, we're so great, look at us, etc. No, we're learning by fucking things up. And so we're going to be sharing uh, a bunch of stuff we have fucked up in that episode and tell you how we now deal with these kind of things when they happen because, well, we've learned by messing this up, basically. So I suggest we jump into the first point. And the first point is going to be a technical one, and that is going to be tools and plugin blood. But I think there's several subsections into that. And I want to talk about one that is when the tool that you picked for your site, like a tool that you're using, we're going to talk about page builders, but there's many. Like, for example, I'm thinking about like uh, lead generation plugins as well, goes in the wrong direction. So you kind of like believed in the tool. It was perfect for you at the time when you actually bought it. But, you know, these tools, they kind of like get ongoing development and they get new features and they change all the time. It's not exactly like you can stay on the version from like five years ago. That would open huge security issues, as we'll talk about a little bit later and so on. So you kind of have to get on with the program and and keep using them regardless of whether you agree or not with the new stuff there is. And and tools tend to release more feature in general. So the way it works, and and I've explained that several times when we've changed our recommendations for page builders, for example. So like the AutoInsight system, we've just changed again uh, to recommending general press or Elementor. It depends on how comfortable people feel with using Gutenberg. But like the thing is like when these kind of things release, for example, they tend to be like lean and nice and do just what you want without going too much of a build. And over time, if they don't release features, new features are essentially the marketing of these tools, right? It's like when there is a new feature, it gives them an opportunity to communicate, make more sales, get more customers and appeal to a broader audience. And usually when people make the purchasing power, they don't, the purchasing power, the purchasing decision, they don't really you know, get to the nitty gritty of like, how well is this implemented? How is that going to play? How these features going to play along, etc. They just need the tick box on the on the spec list, you know? It's a really interesting one. I see this a lot with uh, keyword tools, actually. I know it's a little bit of a different direction, but there's this yeah, kind of fine. race going on for how many how many features can each of them throw out. And there are there are people out there that have written reviews that say one is better than the other because look, it has all of yeah, these hey. features. But it doesn't necessarily do any of them particularly well or like as good as another one. I mean, uh, SEMrush so, is a good example for me of that, yeah. pretty much. Like SEMrush is like a new feature every three months, but it feels kind of half baked every time. You know, like who uses SEMrush's social media scheduler? Like, I don't think anybody, right? And it's like, you know, why not spend more time and resources into getting uh, higher quality data for the QO tool, for example? Without new features, just making sure the numbers are closer to reality or things like that, uh, building integrations with Google Analytics a little bit deeper, things that like, you know, don't sound as flashy, but would improve the core product. But that's kind of like SaaS for you, right? SaaS needs the features because that's the marketing. That's how you market a SaaS. The difficulty of this though is when it's embedded in your site, if you're, if yeah. you're talking about a plugin or a page builder, something really core to your site, if you then want to change, if you want to change from SEMrush to Ahrefs, it's not really a big deal. You just that's sign okay, up for yeah. one and start using it. But if all your pages are built on Thrive Content Builder or whatever else, Elemental, and you want to change to DV, and you yeah. want to change to something else, then it's a real pain in the ass. And most likely, you've never asked yourself the question: What happens even when I want to get out of this ecosystem? Or I want to change. How much work is that to do? And you know, we've done this multiple times and, and failed to kind of think about what the next step is. And we've had to at some point go through every single post on our, our site and migrate it or change it or add new settings or, yeah. or do whatever. It's very time intensive. It costs a lot of money. And it's fine if your site has 50 articles on it, but if you have 800 or 1,000 articles on your site, 
it's a big job, you know, something like that can take months. So you have to, as much as possible, I think, try and foresee how to get off of something if you want to change it in future. Yeah, I think that's something that we think a lot more about now, like as we've done it several times. It's still like hard to like, because obviously the way to, the way to like, for example, for a page builder would be to like stick to just Gutenberg, but you can't exactly do everything on Gutenberg, for example. So you try to pick systems that are as close as possible. We use like Gutenberg plugins now, for example, to build our stuff. We use uh, generate blocks for those people who want to know. There's a free version as well, so feel free to go and try it. Uh, it's just four blocks. It's not like, you know, we could almost like run um find and replace in, a, in the HTML to replace with like the the Gutenberg elements and stuff. But it would still break some styling, but it wouldn't be as bad. But like, yeah, it's something that you have to deal with. And usually the way to deal with this is, first of all, yeah, asking that question whenever you pick a tool, like, how do I get out? How much am I... Uh, putting myself into this and how easy is it to get out. And overall, you also have to kind of like keep an eye on all the new releases of the tools you're using, because a lot of times you're also using that tool, but you never really go on the website or you never really check their social media, et cetera. And they, they start just bloating the whole thing up and adding stuff and having issues. And you're, you have no idea because you're not checking. And you have, I like to subscribe on Twitter to all the tools I use so that like whenever they update, I just like see stuff. Uh, and I get that as part of my feed. So it's a good idea to keep an eye on like what is coming out for the tools you're using as well and asking that question, how you're getting out. But there's no like easy, simple way to just deal with it. And several it's of these points, of, they will not just, be, right? You just have to expect that you're going to have to deal with this at, at some point. Because when you're starting a site, when you're when you're new, even, you know, if you've been doing this for five years or something, you're still going to make bad decisions that are, are, are not going to be worthwhile in in sort of another five years so yeah you just kind of of have to expect it yeah yeah it's basically you're gonna have to deal with it and try to stay as close to stock you know wordpress or whatever as you're using usually that is the answer to like how do i get this out of this easily is to keep things simple even if sometimes it costs you features that sometimes you need to be willing to make that trade-off. Before I was running after the features all the time. Now I'm kind of like, well, like, it, do Simplicity I really want to Simplicity is where it's at most of the time. <laughs> yeah, I think people will see that on the new Authority Hacker site when it comes out, actually. We're doing a podcast as well because we're redoing the Authority Hacker site right now. Not from scratch, but a lot of stuff is being redone. <laughs> and uh, that's it. But another offender here is tools you no longer use. So there are tools. I'm thinking especially about like things like free trials and stuff like that. When you like try a new. For us, it's a lot of like analytics tools, and it creates bloat in two two places of your website that are going to be affecting us. That adds some code to your website, makes it less lean, etc. One part for us is Google Tag Manager. So if we open Google Tag Manager, I'm pretty sure you never go on our Google Tag Manager. But like, you know, if we've used, like, for example, we use EverWebinar on Autoya Hacker, for example. And then there have been new versions of EverWebinar with new tags, etc. And for a long time, we were running all the tags at once. And it was slowing down the website and loading a bunch of JavaScript, etc. So very often cleaning up all the tags you're loading and if you're doing it the dirty way so a lot of people like we're using Google Tag Manager it's kind of clean you kind of get a list of everything that's loaded and you can easily post them but a lot of people they just edit the code of their WordPress team you know and then they just throw it in that code and you kind of never and go see that again and so like all the tools you're not no longer using they're still loading all their JavaScript files etc and if the tool is abandoned imagine like some tools that are abandoned they can be loading JavaScript from an external domain right but if the tool is no longer active someone could buy that tool 
domain, rehost a new JavaScript file and start injecting links on your site and doing all sorts of stuff, etc. Right. So you're also exposing yourself to decent vulnerabilities if you do if you do actually keep running these tags on top of just the the performance issues that you might have. Um, so in general, Google Tag Manager is the first place, and the second place to think about here is your WordPress database. So if you are using WordPress plugins, uninstalling them does not remove the data from the database most of the time. It's like all the tables still exist. And so whenever you open even a web page on your site, right, it, essentially what happens is WordPress just goes, unless the page is cached, but if the page is not cached, WordPress goes into that database and tries to find the content in that database, brings it back, puts it into the content area, displays the page, you know, in a nutshell. And the thing is like, the bigger and the heavier the database is, the longer that query could take, even though obviously they know exactly where to find it, etc. Like it's a little bit less responsive, takes a bit more resources, especially if multiple queries are running at the same time. And so when your database is full of shit, it's like these things get slow and overall your site gets slow. That's usually felt in the WP admin area. That's when your WP admin starts getting sluggish and slower, and like you click and you wait four seconds for the next page load. You know, you know the difference between when you freshly install a WordPress site on a new hosting and then like like four years later, <laughs> you're clicking. And it just takes like five seconds to load any page, right? So that that is that bloat. And so there are plugins, including WP Rocket, but I think they have a free plugin for it as well. You can search uh, like a WP Rocket plugin in the plugin manager. Maybe we'll put a name below if I find it in the notes. But there are plugins that do a lot of the cleaning for you, but I do recommend, it doesn't do a perfect job, so I do recommend like once a year you go with a dev, you go in your database. It's a little bit scary, but not that much. I think, Mark, you would like it. It looks like Excel. And uh, you get to, you know, with the names, you can kind of guess which tables are for what plugin, and you go ahead and you delete all of the stuff that you don't use anymore. It's going to back massively it up first, but yeah, back it up first. That's a good point. That's a good point. Before you do any of these changes we're talking about, back up your website. There's also like when, when talking about bloat like this, there's also just like the more plugins you have, the more chances there are for things like vulnerabilities. Uh, like when we were hosted with uh, Kinsta, probably like every six months or so, they would let us know about one of our plugins, and we didn't have many. There was some vulnerability within it. Didn't always affect us, but you know this, mm. these kind of serious things were regular enough to worry about it somewhat. Kinsta were a bit assholes sometimes as well. Like if a plugin used a bit too much resources for their taste, they would just like flag it as like vulnerabilities. Right. <laughs> well, I didn't. So you know that's why I kind of like I was like mm, it's not it's not my favorite example, but like you know some plugins do use a lot of resources, and so some hosts are like especially when you're doing shared hosting, right? So Kinsta is like premium hosting, but it's premium shared hosting, actually, like you're on the same server as other people. So if some of your plugins use a lot of resources, they're going to they're gonna annoy you and they'll be like, oh, like you can't run this because this and I, that. I'm not talking about resources, I'm talking about vulnerabilities. Like I know, but Kinsta will tell you there are vulnerabilities on plugins that don't have them so that they don't, so that you don't run them and they okay. block it from the database and then you cannot run it and then you, it's quite annoying, basically. And some hosts are going to be annoying like that. That's why I quite like Cloudways right now because we do whatever we want. As long as it's our own server, so if we if we crash it, we crash it, you know, and they don't care that much. So that's pretty much it for the bloat. Unless you have something to add, no. Nope. Okay, let's just jump onto the next point, which is going to be talking about outdated content. Do you want to start with that? Yeah. So I want to start here talking about search intent because this is probably the thing which changes the most. You know, even if you like do a really really good job of of writing an article. Uh, we've seen many examples, even very, very recently there was one. I'm not going to share it. Maybe we share the the older one with the, what was it, the how much money, how to make money blogging. blogging. Yeah. 
And yeah, I was yeah. like, we've had it several a, times, yeah. Yeah, you wrote a really good post about like how much money bloggers make. You did all sorts of research, pulled out stats. With the income and, reports, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was good. But then, and it ranked for a while, but then it didn't because the search intent changed. And then, you know, in this day and age when everybody Indeed. tends to write a very similar piece of content structured in a similar way, if you're not doing that, then nine times out of 10, you're, you're not going to be doing so well on the, on the SERP. So identifying those as they happen, I think it's a really important thing to do. And it, it gets difficult, right? If you have to manage 100 pages and keep track of that, you know, that's, that's doable. If you have to manage, manage 500 or 1,000, plus you're creating products and doing link yeah, building and doing all this other stuff, it's like, it's hard. We've had a lot of success in the last couple of years with uh, an employee who, who kind of manages SEO from that, that perspective. And like, well, a big part of what she does is just like tracks shit and cares about it and tries to fight for every, yeah, every ranking. Like, ha- having someone who's invested in that, it's so worthwhile when your, your site gets to a, a certain point at least. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could tell, like, you can tell on our sites when that shift happened. It wasn't me taking care of this anymore. It's like I was doing a million other things. I was never looking at it. And it's like, I'd be like, oh, I'll just write another post. And it's like, now she really fights. And yeah, we do keep our rankings for a lot longer because of that. So it happens. Another thing that she takes care of factory is uh, when competitors have outdone you as well. And I, I think the easiest example is these posts very, very frequently for a given term that is, you know, where the search intent is a list post, which is pretty frequent these days, like, you know, like bedroom decoration ideas, for example, is going to be a least post for sure. You probably ranked like two, three years ago with like 10 ideas or something in that blog post. I would be hard pressed to, I mean, I didn't Google it, but I wouldn't be surprised if now it's probably in the 50s or something and you have to like, uh, basically, when you have a higher number of items in a list post, you can put that in your title tag. And when there's a higher number, people tend to click more, which increases the click-through rate, which in turn shows Google people like the post more, which in turn makes Google ranks them higher, which naturally makes the tendency for posts with more list items to rank higher. Like It's kind of like working that way. Same with like, if you have more list items, you can do skyscraper. Because you have more list items, you can justify your better. Like In general, for these posts, it's always a competition. And very often you had that top 10 that was ranking number one for like three years. And then you haven't looked at it and you're like kind of re-Google the query and you realize you're number eight and that the top five are like all top 50 lists or something like this. And that's something that you need to work on. Usually like that is what would trigger a light rework of a post for me. So like if the search intent has changed, my fix would be, well, you kind of have to rewrite it. If you're not matching the search intent, there's just no way. But it's still more valuable to rewrite a post like that than to create a new post usually because these URLs have links, they have age, they have internal links, they have all of that. So you're more likely to get faster results rewriting that post than like just going to create a new page. Unless that page historically was not making you a lot of money, lots of conversions, whatever, then maybe just drop it. But if like it's a listing, for example, then that's what triggers what I would call like a light revamp. So you don't have to rewrite uh, new stuff. You just have to like add more stuff to the to the post. You know, it's so, add like, more list points or something. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and or like you know, maybe everyone now has diagrams and graphics, and you go and work with an illustrator to add these extra. Like you just go and like match what is Make ranking it better. and adapt. So, the, you know, like when you rework posts, there's like the light one where you don't throw away what you did before and you just add to it. 
and all slash re-edit and update your information maybe. And then there's the, the complete re, re, redo over where usually that is triggered by search intent. So these things are important. And the thing is like, it's, it's interesting because when your site ages, which is kind of the topic of that podcast, you know, when you start a new site, it's all about creating new content. You don't really have to worry about this. And then slowly this stuff creeps up and it's kind of like competing against creating new content. And I think that's one of the big challenges of growth of content on these uh, aging sites is like kind of like deciding what to do, etc. I think it's balancing creating new content and deciding which of the various options to do with, with the others. Generally, your first 100 articles, you're not updating much content, even sometimes 150, 200 articles, depending on how quickly you do it. You're just in this like new content, new post mode, give a writer a keyword, work on it, you know, do all that stuff. You have no processes for, first of all, tracking or auditing like what's going on, making decisions about when you need to cut posts or re- redo them, revamp them. And even little things like you probably pay your writer per word, but how do you pay yeah, them per word if yeah. they're adding sections here or but then they're removing other sections? It's like it's not it, just it, it that. Gets, the research is often just as much as writing an article. So, like, would you pay them less? Or, or, or a lot like, more, yeah. Yeah. So it gets a bit different. Editors, like, again, or do they go through the whole thing or just the new bit? It's it's gets a bit messy. So you're probably not so well set up as a company, as an organization, to like handle those those kind of things. But more and more as you grow, like a significant percentage of your content creation starts to become rework, update, revamp type stuff instead. Up to the um, point where it's most of it eventually, you know? Yeah, I mean, the top sites are, are going to be, you know, they've already covered most of the content in their niche, so they're going to be doing this. And the thing is, once you create a piece of content, you do really well, you're ranking number one, you're kind of giving away the template for what you yeah. need to do to rank to everyone else who, who can just search for it as well. So inevitably, competitors will come along and start imitating what you're doing, using the same examples and all sorts of like semi-dodgy stuff to try and imitate what you're doing. And occasionally they'll beat you and you'll have to kind of look, oh, well, what are they doing? And so this this kind of war starts to brew from there. One thing I would say, if you're in the early stages of your site, you know, you don't need to think too much about this at the moment. But what is really helpful is just tracking everything, like having a list of all of the posts you have on your site. It sounds simple, like, oh yeah, I can just go into WP Admin, see the post there. But having a Google Sheet so you can kind of like work with it and do proper content audits and see where, like, how, how much content you have in each category and, you know, cross-reference data from your analytics or your rank tracker and and make these decisions or just keep keep track of things and organize things makes it much easier to then start transitioning to the mode when you're you're kind of editing content rather than uh, just always creating new content. Yeah, the thing as well is like I always like when I talk to like advanced marketers or people with big sites, I always bring up that like how do you revamp your content? Because I think like writing content it's not it's not very difficult, but like how do you re-edit your content? I think it's a much more interesting question. And I would say 80% of the time, the answer that comes back to me is like, well, it's so case by case for each page that we just commission the writers to rewrite the article. <laughs> and they just allow them to copy paste from the old one basically and but they still pay them like as long as they can afford it they just pay them for the full rate because writers would not want it any other way and they're good writers they don't want to like piss them off they want them to keep writing for them it goes back to a little bit of what we were talking about earlier you know having all these plugins and stuff having all these processes for creating content well if you just have one to create a new article and you just run every 
kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. revamp through that, then it might may cost you a bit more, but it, it's simpler. It's not just that. It's like they make more money from revamped articles than they make from new articles. Like new articles, you know, unless you're like a really a big author, if you're like the R60, 70 plus, then you start really like ranking for like medium compilation keywords without really doing anything. You post them two weeks later, you're ranking. But if you're like mid-authority, like if you're like the R30 to 50, something like this, like you, do, you don't yet have that like super strong instant ranking power. So like this, you do get like quick results from revamping pages that already have links that already have all of that. Whereas new pages, you're probably waiting several months before you get any kind of results for them, unless they're very uncompetitive, but then maybe you don't make that much or whatever. But like, so overall people are willing to take the hit of like, well, the writer's not working as hard and I'm paying them as much because they get money faster and it's more, the hit rate is higher. And they, and they just accept it basically. So that's I wanted to bring that up because it's like it's always that question like how do you run content? I was uh, it's it's very hard to teach that as well. Like we don't really have that in the courses actually. That's something that we should cover at some point. But I think that we yeah it's something that basically most advanced people just pay for and pay like it was a new article. Anything to add again on the. Uh, content part of it. Uh, no, let's move on. Let's maybe talk about design and UX and all that stuff because, well, we've just been redesigning the, I wouldn't say it's completely not redesigning yet. the Authority Hacker site, but we it's, it, it'll look a little bit different. It'll it'll still feel the, the same. The brand but is the same, but uh, I remember when we first, our old fight site first came out, I looked at it and think, oh, wow, that looks amazing. And now I look at it and I think, oh, that looks a bit shit, to be honest. <laughs> and now I'm looking at the new design Would and you think, say your oh, taste wow, improved? That, Oh wow, that looks amazing! <laughs> I'm thinking, am I going to look back at this in a couple of years and think you it looks will. terrible as well? Probably, yeah. right? Because your design taste changes, the world moves on, like standards uh, and quality design, of what you can design do. Design standards are changing a lot. I mean, look at like you know Android or iOS five years ago versus now, for example. And it's like, yeah, a lot of things have changed. Like we're, we're a lot more minimalist in our design now. Before we had a lot of like shadows everywhere and things like that. Like, and in general, like there's like three, four, five software slash UX that we use that kind of like influence everyone else in design. So I would say that's your operating system, that's your browser, and that's like Google and YouTube and uh, Instagram and Facebook. And like the way, the direction they go, usually like the rest of the internet follows and that's kind of like the expected standard. So when these five interfaces upgrade in quality and become nicer, it kind of like everything else becomes shit unless you kind of like catch up to them and event and so that's what's been happening. These all these things that I've mentioned have improved in uh, design over time, have changed, and have followed in general like a more minimalist direction as well. And so like yeah, it's the design. It's like it's one of these things where it's like you know you could rank with a terrible design site, but it's going to be harder to convert people if you're trying to sell them. On stuff, it's going to be harder to get their emails if you're trying to build an email list. I think the only thing that will not be as affected as much is probably ads, provided there's enough ads above the fold. Usually that's kind of what determines how much money you make. But for everything else with a website, if your website is not trustworthy, it's kind of hard to get people to take action. And design does lend you some links as well. For example, when you do outreach for link building and so on, if your site looks cool and so on, that will lend you more links, which over time gives you a small competitive advantage that compounds and makes you do better. So I would say that most websites need to be redesigned every four to five years, usually. I would say that's kind of like... Yeah, um, I the most. 
Yeah, I mean, it depends on like what niche you're in, etc. Like, I'm telling you, some some niches sites haven't been redesigned for 20 years, right? If you if you go in, uh, like for example, I was checking the jewelry niche. There is some like niche sites in there. Like, there's there's some decent FA programs in there. Actually, I was checking it out. But there's also some absolute terrible sites still building frames and stuff. It's it's just terrible. So it depends on the niche. But usually, the more competitive, the more you're going to have to have a modern design extra. It's not hard to do. It's just that usually it means upgrading your tech as well. It means doing all the stuff that we talked about before and so on. It means figuring out someone to either do it for you or do it yourself, spending hundreds of hours like rechecking everything's translated properly. You're not missing anything. You're not breaking anything in the transfer. But that is something that, yeah, for me, four to five years is about the lifetime of a design for a website these days. More than that, and it's starting to push it a bit. I didn't ask you how to sound design because I don't have much else to say. It was just a small point. No. Okay. Uh, I want to talk about site structure. I think site structure issues rarely show in brand new sites. You know, when you start a brand new site, you have kind of an idea and you know probably, like when we plan a new site, we plan, I usually put like 100 to 200 pages planned on the structure, you know, before we even write them. So that we kind of have an idea where things are going, which hubs are going to be built, etc. But the interesting part is what comes after. Like what after you've reached that point? Sometimes you don't put the content in the right place. You don't necessarily build your category properly. You know, like you kind of like start ordering your content from writers or you try something random and it just works and you start ordering 20 articles on a topic where you didn't really build a section of your site for it. You didn't build a post type for it. If you're doing hard silos especially, that can be biting you in the ass quite hard. And so very often reorganizing your content content is something that you do when sites age and as well soft silos are quite nice because since basically a hard silo just to explain is when you have the folder where the page is in the URL right so you have like I don't know we don't have it on Atari Hacker but you would have like atarihacker.com slash SEO slash fidget snippets for example but if you wanted to move fidget snippets to blogging for whatever reason that would be a terrible idea but let's say you wanted to do that then it would change that URL if you recategorize so that kind of like and if you change the URL then that means the links that were pointing to the old URL are not pointing to a new one. You need to do a swear one redirect, it's a bit messy, etc. If you have soft silos, you're using usually the tags or the categories in WordPress, and you can more easily read categorize. And I think that's kind of like the main benefit of soft silos is that you can re- move things around without actually having to do that. But I think it's a good idea when you audit your content every maybe two, three years to uh, think about like, are they in the right place? Do I need to create new categories very often? Like you know, you've expanded like 20 articles on a subtopic. It probably could have its own category, probably could have its own topic page, hub page that links to all these pages that you can then link build and just internal link all your links to that page that just distributes the link equity a lot better around your site. That's something to think about all this time. Now, I wanted to talk about changing URLs because that is something that is definitely not recommended in the SEO world. And it's something that does carry risk, but it's also something I've done because science, you know? <laughs> I have a question. So yeah. this is, to me, when people say risk, they're often not very clear about what they yeah. actually mean. So I, I wanted to ask you this because I, I don't know the answer. With changing URLs for the purposes of a site structure change or whatever, is the risk that you lose your a you fuck something up, or is the risk that you do it all correctly and something still doesn't work? Okay, so historically, Google has been pretty shit at handling moving pages. You're like in a sense that like they would pass on the link equity, etc. But like literally the same content on the same domain on a different URL with everything properly redirected would lend you 
low, in lower rankings than you were originally, right? Like maybe you were ranking number three and you do all this stuff and you're ranking number seven, like typical of what would happen. My personal belief around that is that Google has fixed a lot of that crap when they forced HTTPS on people. Because when they forced, they were like, guys, you need an HTTPS, you need, you need to have a SSL certificate on your site. You changed all the URLs on your site. As far as I'm concerned, it's a different URL. And all these rules of moving things have applied, right? And yet, I challenge you to find people that will now have that story of like, I've installed an SSL certificate and lost rankings. It doesn't really happen anymore, right? And from, I've done, I haven't done it like 50 times or something, but I've done it like maybe those five, six times since then on like specific posts, like typical, like I went in WordPress, I changed the slug, right? It's like typical what you should not do on pages that ranked because I wanted to know and because size structure issues with aging sites, basically. And my rankings every time landed back exactly where they were within a couple of days. So my personal belief from my limited experience trying things on our sites and just looking at what happens is that it's not really an issue anymore, but it has been an issue since the beginning of SEO until more or less, in my opinion, when uh, SSL certificates became standard because everyone had to change all their URLs. And so Google, I was like, well, if we need to push that stuff on people, we probably need to handle redirects properly. So um, therefore, what you're saying is the risk now is, is lower that than it used to be. People are either going, it, the main risk is that people are going to not know exactly what they're going to do and not everything they need to change, or they're going to know that, but execute it badly or miss something. I mean, I'm not I'm not also excluding that Google would like randomly give you lower rankings when you change the URL. Like the, the scope of the experience that I have is just too small to be statistically significant, right? So mm. we've got to put that to pin that as well. It's like it's not excluded that someone does everything I did I, and I, ends I, up I with know, a but result, I just you know? want to try and pin you down because <laughs> you're just like, well it could be this or it could be this or it could be this. But like if let's if, say for if, if nobody's okay, looking. let's say let's say for authority hacker, right? Yeah. Big site very important to you. How much are, would you be willing to change completely change the URL structure on, on the site if you felt the structure was I mean, I wouldn't it? change the whole URL structure, but like a hub, for example. Like, let's say mm -hmm. we had hard silos and I'm moving, I don't know, like some, like, what's the name? Rank Mass Review. I'm, I'm moving it from the WordPress plugins category that we're removing to the SEO category. Makes sense, right? And so like if you had hard silos, the URL would change. If nobody's looking, I would do it now. Like if, if you're not asking me if I don't have to justify myself on the podcast or anything, <laughs> I'll just do it. I'll be like, fuck you guys. You know, I just I know it's gonna work. It's gonna be fine. <laughs> don't worry. Is this best practices? No. You're gonna ask 10 SEOs, probably all 10 will tell you don't do this. But from my infield experience, it hasn't been an issue. And until I encounter an issue doing the same thing, I believe it's not as big of a deal as it's made of in the industry. Could a lot of the reason people, SEOs, hold back and saying, yeah, you should do, definitely do this, is because maybe if someone, if it goes wrong for someone, like that's quite a sort of like, this guy gives terrible advice. This guy was a terrible SEO person because yeah. that is definitely not not recommended, right? Yeah. And so that's why I'm trying to be very, very clear in this because I, I want to be honest on like what I would do. And it, it's like, if we were changing like very important pages, I would think twice about it. Like if I don't have to do it, I would probably avoid it just in case, you know, like if it's like pages that make us a lot of money or something like that, I'd be like, mm, you know what, is it like risk versus reward? You know, how much do I stand to benefit from doing that change? If it's very little, then maybe it's not worth the risk. If it's very, if it's a lot, 
I would argue yes, and I would argue you can probably just roll it back if it really fucks up, you know? Like, it's not that hard to cut a redirect and bring it back. So, yeah, I'm just telling you, being super honest, you know? Okay, and last question on this part. Would you categorize moving domains under the same, like, sort technically, of logic? Technically, it's exactly the same thing. You're just moving the content to a string of, of letters that is different. As soon as you do that, whether it's adding an S at the end of HTTP or adding a word to your slug or moving the category or changing domain, technically it's exactly the same thing, you know? It feels like there may maybe be more risk though with the moving the domain, moving domain as there's perhaps other factors there as well. No, I mean, um, I haven't checked recently, but Webmaster's console had a tool to let Google know that you're changing domain, right? There was a domain migration tool, and you would fill that in, and you would probably 301 redirect everything. I recommend then, if you're doing that redirect, to do it on the DNS level, and not like, don't keep your WordPress installed and do your redirect on like Rank Mass or Yoast or something, because then what it does is it loads your WordPress files, then it redirects. And it's like, it's very sluggish, that redirect, you know, whereas if you do it on a DNS level before the domain is even resolved, it's much faster. It's a much cleaner way of redirecting. Cloudflare is a good place to do that. So if you do your redirects properly, that take the least amount of resources to redirect the traffic, etc. so it doesn't eat your crawl budget if you're probably hitting the old URLs, etc. I don't think it's a huge risk, but it's important to note that there is some risk tied to it. It's just that it's. I'd like to observe it when it's done properly because it hasn't happened in a long time. So basically, don't blame us if you do it and you fuck up your site. Hey, I'm trying to be like, uh, I'm trying, like, yeah. It's, but that's the thing. It's like, how does SEO evolve if nobody really brings these things up and tries yeah. to reopen the box and, and talk about this, right? So it's like, otherwise, we're going to keep giving advice from 20 years ago. And it's like, honestly, you can just go and search engine journal for that, you know? Uh, <laughs> so here goes all our links from search engine journal. Iceberg. Uh, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, these kind of sites that just repeat the same stuff. And it's like, take zero risks. No, like if I give you my infield experience, it's not really an issue anymore, but it needs to be done technically properly and you should be fine, but I don't have thousands of experiments behind to back this up. So I'm, I'm warning people that there's still an inherent risk that I haven't observed in a long time. Pretty much it. So I can't, I can't be more clear. I feel like I'm a politician right now, you know? Uh, <laughs> okay, let's talk about the next point, which is going to be like, it's a, this one is like something very few people talk about. I feel like I'm teasing again. Like I feel I'm like writing a sales pitch. Very few people talk about this secret. But guys, this is something that they're going to try to arrest me if I tell you. No, it's not that. It's actually that there is, over time as you work on a website, a lower yield on the new content that you create or lower opportunity than there was on the first pages of your website. Let me explain. When you start a new site, you do your keyword research. If you do it properly, you will find, if you haven't picked an overly saturated niche, you will find keywords that are like not too difficult to rank for, also have buying intent, and you know you don't need to try super hard while you can stand to make decent money. But as you grow your site, you've written 500, 600, 700 pages on your site, you do run out of these optimal keywords, you know? And then over time, you either have to accept higher competition for the next keywords you're writing for, or you have to accept things like lower buying intent, right? And so like the opportunity of each of the marginal piece of content is 
reducing over time, basically. And that's a reality that has happened to us. And so, for example, for us, it led us to sell some sites. When like I was just looking at the keyword research I was doing at the beginning versus the keyword research, and I was like, guys, like it's probably like half as good the stuff I'm finding now as the stuff that I was finding at the beginning of the site. So most likely our growth is going to go like, you know, it's going to like keep growing, but like flatten. And so we're going to, we either cash out now and start a new project where we find a bunch of these high opportunity keywords, or we have to push through. And then the next point thing I want to talk about that is usually when you hit that point, like you're like five, 600 pages, DR50, let's just say something like this, right? That's, that's kind of like the mid-size three, four years old site that I would expect, then you kind of like find yourself in between. You find yourself in between kind of like all the low authority sites that you like found keywords from and you reverse engineered, et cetera, found all these like really high opportunity keywords at the beginning. You're like above them kind of at that point, but you're also below the top players of your industry. You're kind of like in that no man's land of like mid authority sites. You can't beat the DR 70s of your niche, but you kind of like stomped all the DR 20s, 30s, but you, you kind of running out of keywords from, from like reverse engineering them while not being able to harvest keywords from the super high authority sites because they're just so much stronger than you. It's a huge expense of resources to compete with these guys. And so that is a real challenge of like a site that is getting older, but is not on top of its industry, which is the case of most people, I would say. And I mean, I will disappoint people. There's no like perfect solution to this. One of the solutions I have is expand your monetization methods. Usually the opportunity comes with monetization methods. So if you haven't done advertising yet, for example, probably a good time to explore that. And then you can write about all these easier info keywords and like re-add some opportunity to the content that you're creating. If you're creating info content, hopefully it yields some links as well, which helps you catch up with the bigger sites. I like also like getting into other monetization methods, like selling products, info product, that kind of stuff, like so that again, you can monetize different types of content. I think also just like the, the amount you make when you own the product there's a quite a big so much jump more, up yeah, yeah. in there, right? Yeah, so, sometimes you can't progress in traffic, but you can progress in how much you make with your traffic. And that kind of like keeps that growth of revenue going, even though your analytics might flatten a bit because you're hitting that kind of like mid-size plateau, you know? Yeah, I agree with that. And there's a degree of perseverance to that. That plateauing effect is is pretty common when you grow sites. Like not everyone just, <laughs> most people don't just go like on a straight lineup, you know? There is like plateauing times. And usually that time when, as I said, you've stomped the small sites, but you're below the big sites. It's probably like the longest plateau that you'll hit. You still grow, but you know, it's like when you're at like a thousand visits per month, or like a thousand visits per day, even let's say adding an extra thousand is like it's massive, it doubles. But you, when you're at 10,000, you add 1,000, it's plus 10%. It's not going to feel nearly as much of a growth, and mentally, it's going to feel a little bit more difficult. You'll be like, Oh, it's not as exciting as it was, I'm not growing as much. Yeah, that, that's actually a really important thing. I think it's, it's worth we're talking about because as site owners, we're entrepreneurs, we're thinking about we get excited by growth, right? And so when we have a brand new site and it gets plus 100 visits a day, that's, it's so cool. Like it's exciting. We're seeing all this like growth, but then, you know, you have a site that, that gets 10,000 visits a month and you get 100 plus 100 per day. And you're like, you barely, you don't even notice it. Right. And you hit this maturity phase with your, with your site where you're not seeing that 50%, 200%, 1000% yeah. year on year growth that you were in the beginning. And something changes, right? You get a little bit less excited about it. 
even yeah. though you, you get quite accustomed to the performance of it and the success of it, and you lose a bit of kind of dynamism around it. So I think it's important to expect that to occur, and also just to, to just to kind of like I guess keep yourself a little bit grounded with some of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everything becomes a job eventually, right? Even the most exciting uh, thing, etc. Like, I I know we shouldn't say that when we sell that kind of training, <laughs> but, but but it is true, right? It's like I, it's like I enjoy what we do, but it's not exactly like I'm like extremely excited every single morning, etc. Like I do, we do a lot of like maintenance work and things like that. It's like, it's interesting. I would not trade that for a job or anything like that ever, but like you've got, you normalize everything eventually. And so it's as much a battle in terms of like opportunity for your keywords where we started on that point as it is a mental battle on like accepting that things can't double every month. And uh, it's something that you're going to have to accept because whether or not you do, you do, it's the same anyway. So that's pretty much it. But like, yeah, I started on the low, low opportunity. That is a thing. And I think you're going to have that period for most sites where if you want to catch up with the big sites, you're going to have to like, you know, stick to it for a few more years of like, you know, slow, like growth that feels more regular, less exciting to eventually get to like this DR70, 80 of the big guys and, and actually be like, able to compete for the biggest skills in your industry, then it becomes exciting again. Like there's kind of like that that thing where you like have that fast growth at the beginning, you stomp all the small sites, you kind of have the purgatory of the mid-size website, and you kind of like get to a point where you get the authority to start competing on the huge keywords in your niche, and it becomes really interesting again. And so that curve, it's something to deal with, and it's something you have to pass through, but you also can work on other parts like the monetization to kind of make up for maybe the, um, the slower percentage growth of your traffic. So that's pretty much it. I'll let you take the next one about toxic links. Okay, so I want to talk about links now. This is something which uh, has, has come up a few times. Newer site owners have said, like looked at their Ahrefs and seen some links that they didn't build in there that look kind of spammy and thinking, oh my God, is this a negative SEO attack? Uh, I need to disavow it immediately or just kind of not been sure what to do. When you have an aged site, an, an established site, you get you know hundreds of thousands of visitors a, a month or a year. You're going to attract metric shit ton of horrendous links. I'll, I've got one one example here. I'll put it on on the screen now. Um, this was this is just is it safe uh, for work? It, uh, <laughs> yeah. Do you remember so when I did a live stream and like I clicked on a random link? I opened some like random porn stuff when I was doing live queue research. Make sure that I don't happen. know, but that's actually <laughs> somewhere on our YouTube channel if you want to go back <laughs> and, and find that and see that moment. Anyway, this is an example of one. I found this on, on Ahrefs. If you look in backlinks, you can just order by date, and this was one of the most recent ones. So we get sites like this all the time linking to us. I'm not really 100% sure what their angle is, but it, it's some kind of like automated or automatically generated slash scraped content and there'll be a few links in there here and there maybe they're linking to us because we're one of the like legitimate sites that they're linking out to to try and mask the dodgy site that they're trying to trying to push or something i don't know this stuff happens all the time my advice is don't worry about it don't even think about it just ignore it i think google does such a good job these days of ignoring shit like this because every site has it that you don't need to go and disavow. Back in the day I would have said, yeah, definitely go on and disavow. Some SEOs argued you should do it though. Like some SEOs argue that and I think John Mueller was like, oh it's a good thing to disavow bad things. I mean John Mueller, you can literally find him on record saying anything anyway, but it's he'll, like he'll, I'm sure he said the opposite yeah. at some point. But like yeah. from Google's perspective, 
I understand why, because the more people they're saying, it oh, we them, think yeah. these are bad links, there's like tons of useful data for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, sure. And, you know, if you've had a penalty or any kind of like serious event happened to your site, then it's something you should absolutely look at. But day-to-day operations, I don't think you need to actually like do anything with it. The most annoying thing really is how much it kind of fills up your Ahrefs report. So you kind of, it's a little bit difficult to filter you know, out. You can disable like links in Ahrefs. Yeah. So you can you, hide them actually, so you can upload. Actually, it's even better than that. You can select links in your link report, click disable, and it generates the text file you can submit to Google if you want. It's actually quite handy if you want to disable. But I agree with Mark most of the time. I wouldn't bother too much. The real issue, though, is that when your site gets to a certain size, you're getting dozens of these every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And managing that or like going through and deciding, is this legit or is this not? Because there are some borderline cases when you're generally not that sure, then becomes very expensive or very time consuming. Yeah, I agree. There's also these, um, these shitty keyword tools that link to you. Um, oh and they, yeah, the but they do that to try to make sales, right? They do that so that you go check their website from Ahrefs and they try to sell you stuff. But if you're already on Ahrefs, why would you buy the shitty Kyoto? I don't get it. Yeah. Whatever. But yeah, so that happens. The next one is also yours, actually. Yeah. So the next one related to links is link loss. And so when we're starting a new site, we're always thinking about, oh yeah, we need to build links, we need to grow the our, our DR, all that kind of stuff. But over time. As some of the things that we talked about in this this podcast happen to other sites, you know, they're updating their content. Um, of course, they're not going to be looking. Oh, we need to keep authority hackers link in there, otherwise they're not going to like us or something. They're, they're just going to go ahead and, and steamroll yeah, through that and, and remove it. So you have a bit of attrition. Sites will go like down, get bought over, merged into each other, three hundred one. You know, forget to pay the hosting bill. Insert any number of reasons above. It happens. I don't think it's too much to worry about. You again, if you have a page that's tanked recently, you can look at links you've lost, and Ahrefs is, is a good way to do that as as well. Where it's I guess most concerning or most important to keep an eye on is links you've been doing through outreach. So that's why I always advocate in, in all of our link building courses, like keep this master database of all the the links you've built, and especially if you're doing paid links, the ones you've you've paid for, because it doesn't happen that often, but there are a number of people who will, you know, a month later, two months later, somehow remove your link accidentally, of course. So, you know, just keep an eye. Yeah, just just keep an eye on this. And sometimes it is a genuine mistake, to, to be fair, you know, especially when you have multiple people working on the site. So keep keep an eye on it, and you can run. I'm not sure if there's a way to do this in Ahrefs, but definitely in Scrape, a tool like Scrapebox. If if you have like links from links to, you can just verify that they're all all those links still exist. It's automated. It's very easy. So just run that report, you know, once a month, once a quarter, and make sure you're not kind of like losing too much too much link juice over time because it can be an issue when you have thousands of pages and you built thousands of links. Yeah, okay. Let's jump on to the last one, which is going to be security issues. And that one, I think, is a big one as well. If you are running all the plugins, you haven't been updating your site all the time, you haven't, you know, you have like 45 updates in the in the little hour on WordPress that you're supposed to run, etc. You're probably exposed to some vulnerabilities. The first thing to do is obviously to try to update your stuff, but especially if you haven't updated for a while, make a backup before you update stuff because when new versions of plugins come in, there could be new uh, conflicts, there could be issues, stuff breaking. Pretty much always make a backup. Most hostings have backup now. There is a database I found for like vulnerabilities in plugins as well on wpscan.com. 
so you can go and check that out and you can check the plugins you have in there and make sure that you know people can inject random stuff on your site. People use usually inject either crypto miners, so they use your hosting to mine crypto, or they try to put stuff to inject links on your site. Uh, that's pretty much the two things that people will be hacking your site for. Another thing that can happen as well that you need to watch out for is admin accounts. We had that problem. Old admin account. You know, like you go to the support for a plugin and they're like, oh, give me a login account, a login to your WordPress as an admin so that I can go and fix your stuff. You're like, sure. You make a new account. It's like admin123, pass123. And you give that to the to the support guy so he can go and do this quickly, right? And then you never or, do Or that. if you're Gail, you do that seven <laughs> times. You call them admin, admin2, admin2.2, admin3, admin3.3. giving this away. No, and then you never know what any of them is for. And so, like these are these are usually the easy to crack accounts. So you need to be a little bit careful. I recommend to use the um, password generator on LastPass to at least generate the passwords on these. At least that should help. There is also a lot of base WordPress issues like login, login spam, etc. That you need to look at. The two places that I like to look for in terms of like malware injections issues, etc., is first of all. Webmasters console will actually have notifications. So make sure you, if you don't log in very often, go and check it out and check that there is no like uh, malware and hacking notifications because these happen. And Security, which is a paid service, but does a really good job at not only finding malware on your site, but removing it happened to us several times. Like we got random injections, couldn't find it, etc. And usually paying Security's yearly plan was cheaper than paying a developer to actually find a problem and remove it. And it's been successful every single time we use it. So I recommend that, uh, I mean, personally, if your site's making good money, it's probably a good investment to buy this security thing. Usually buy it after you had your first issue. So like you had a notification of Webmaster's console or you've been made aware that there is an issue on the site, like your site is randomly redirecting to porn or something. That happens. That's when you bring security in. Don't really pay for it before. And do a yearly audit of your accounts on your site and make sure you run updates at least like three, four times a year while backing on before. And that should handle most of the security issues if you have like good passwords, that kind of stuff. One thing that we need to do on our sites, by the way, is two-factor authentication to log on WordPress. That is something that I would like to implement this year. And uh, there is a lot of free plugins that do that now. I will make a recommendation once I've actually tried all of them and picked one. So for now, I'm not making one, but I know it's pretty easy to do. So that's basically it for security. That's basically it for this podcast. Any final word of wisdom given your specialty in uh, aging? I guess wisdom comes with it now. <laughs> Where did this come from? I'm just going with the theme of the podcast. I just felt it this was is, a, a This is actually the first time in my life when uh, when someone's like kind of someone else has said like, oh, you're getting old or you're old. Like, is this, is this uh, how it starts? I think it's just how, how I feel about it. Then I project it on you. So that's why you know, uh, so it's, must it's be, my must be. inner insecurities, really. So any final words anyway? No. All right, well, thank you for that. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe, like, drop us a comment, and tell us what else you want us to cover in the podcast this year. We are going to be doing podcasts every two weeks. This podcast is a result of someone's ideas in the comments that said, we really want you to do this podcast. If you want us to do more podcasts and have specific topics you want us to cover, let us know in the comments on YouTube. Now, thank you for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye.